The first week-long hike that I took was back in the 90s. was with a bunch of people from our church that we were going to then. The only one from my family made it was our son Aaron. Among the 12 other people who trudged with us was a 10-year-old fatherless girl along with her brother. The brother was easy. The girl, well, you know, it's what we say. She was a handful. (laughs) She was a good little girl, but she was just very, very active. She had asked me four years earlier, actually, if I could be your dad. So on various family outings, we uh, we had taken the two of them usually, and the, and when she wasn't working, their mom. On this hike, our bustling little bundle of energy managed to do something to hurt herself every single day, every day, usually multiple times a day. I can't remember what it was the first day. The second she fell at lunch and jammed something, I can't remember, but hard enough that they brought her to Dr. Rachel, our doctor that was along in the hike, who promptly brought her to me. <laughs> you're going to have to take care of her, Rick, because you're the, uh, you're the acting parent here, or something like that is basically what she told me. Okay. Well, that night our little one was chasing around in the stream with the other, the older kids, actually, and she managed to fall and hit her shin so hard they thought she'd fractured the bone. It really cracked. So again to Dr. Rachel, and then again to me. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm holding her. She must have hurt pretty bad because she cried for like 10 minutes. Uh, and then she finally dried her tears and went off to play with the other kids. <laughs> well, we decided we needed a rule. <laughs> so from then on, she was not allowed to be more than 15 feet from me without permission. <laughs> and, and it worked. It worked pretty well, actually. All that night and through the next morning, I had kept her from hurting herself. <laughs> it, was, it was working, okay? With a hiking group this large, I don't normally do them that large, but it's pretty common to split up into kind of groups as you walk, and one goes on ahead. The, the older, the faster kids with the in-shape adults, that's the one that goes first. And then the younger kids with the out-of-shape, slow adults, follow at a more leisurely pace. I was in that second group, along with our little restless one. But one of the boys in our group, he didn't have a cover for his sleeping bag and it kept unwinding and, and falling out of his bag, just out of the backpack. And the third time I had to tie it back on, I finally got frustrated and decided to do something right with it instead of just... So by the time I got his backpack off and I had rearranged everything and tied things up and got it back together and helped him put his backpack back on, 10 or 15 minutes had elapsed. And of course, everyone's off running around enjoying themselves or getting water. You have to pump water, you know. And, and so I got them all back together. And where's the little one? Uh-huh. I know she was there earlier because she'd asked me some question or another. I don't, I'm not sure what it was. And we looked everywhere, but we couldn't find her. One of the little kids said, Hey, I I think she went walking on ahead. What? (laughs) This isn't the the sidewalk. Walking on ahead? So I got up and, uh, well, first I got to stop and tell you something about the Olympic National Park. There's never been a bear attack there, ever, in the recorded history, ever. People are often surprised by that. 
There's no poisonous spiders. There's no venomous snakes. It's actually a very safe place. In fact, there have only been a handful of animal attacks in the entire history of the park. They all involve one animal type and one very specific kind of person in a specific circumstance. Cougars and children off by themselves. Aha! Uh-huh. I had read this, of course, in preparation for leading this, my very first week-long hike. I'd read a whole bunch of stuff. So you can kind of see where my mind's going. So I throw my backpack on and I hurry up the little hill in front of us. I got to the top and nothing. I started going a little faster and rounded corner after corner. Still nothing. I came over a small rise and the trail plunged straight ahead across a brand new landslide that was nothing but loose rock and gravel and it led right down into that raging river. (laughs) I'm telling you, I searched real carefully for any signs that maybe that child had slid down into that glacier cold water and was swept downstream. I couldn't see anything, but I really wasn't sure. Well, what could I do but drive on? But my mind was still on those cougars. I mean, what would I tell her mother? <laughs> or her brother who was with the group that's, you know, somewhere in front of us? I actually began backpacking all to run. Okay? I realized then that if I'm running, she must be as well. Did I tell you that every recorded cougar attack of humans was little children by themselves running? By now, my mind is running way faster than my feet can carry me. Where is this little one? What has happened to her? Around corners, up, down, nothing, nothing. Finally, I drove up a high rise and the trail disappeared down around a corner. But there at the top of the hill, I could see the trail across on the other side of the valley as it curved around. And on the path was our lead group, complete with her brother but no little one. We read last week what the Apostle Paul declared to the Ephesian believers. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. How does he urge them to walk? In unity. Not alone, but together one. And what does this unity look like? Paul goes on, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The unity of the Spirit. Let's start with that section. We are one because we were all sealed by one Spirit, the guarantee of our inheritance. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One body. Paul often uses the body as a metaphor for the church. How proud is your hand? That's a dumb question. I know it's a dumb question. That, that's the point. For your hand to be proud that is better than, say, your foot. Well, that's, that's silliness. It's all one body. 
We must not be proud of what we do in the church. How would the church ever get along without me? <laughs> I'm the only one who knows how to run this little church. Come on, we're all part of the same body. We might know our part really well, but there's so much more than just our little part. Besides, it's not our body, it's His body. <laughs> we didn't do anything to get in. You know, Paul said we were dead. And now we all have one hope. So we shouldn't feel so low either. I'm not really that important. Not sure anyone would notice if I even died. <laughs> now, we were all called, sealed by the one Spirit to the one hope. If you have turned your life over to Christ, then you are a child of God's. You are a part of this body. And all this body has the great hope of everlasting life with the one Spirit. And we are one because we are all following one Lord. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. We are all one because we all share the same shepherd. Well, when we actually follow Him, but that's a whole other issue. We all have one faith. So let's review the basics of our faith. In, in Ephesians, Paul says, we have redemption through His blood. Remember back in the first chapter. That is to say, Christ's willingness to be sacrificed in our place. That's how we have redemption. Which provided us with one means of forgiveness for our trespasses or sins. We have the riches of His grace what Paul called the knowledge of the mystery of His will is ours. And eventually we will have complete unity in the new creation, that one hope that we talked about. There is one baptism. One of the foundations of our particular understanding of Scripture is that it is believers who are to be baptized. As Paul said to the church in Corinth, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Infant baptism began because of the misunderstanding that baptism actually causes salvation. If a person actually believed that a child would go to hell if they weren't baptized, of course you should baptize infants, obviously. But we know that's not true. Baptism is an outward sign of an inner change. So why does Paul say one baptism? Because baptism is an outward sign of an inner change. We all have one story to tell. Baptism is the beginning of our proclaiming the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It is a shared experience that should draw us together. After all, if we've all made this same public expression of our faith, then the world will know, without a doubt, that we belong together. We're all doing the same thing that we are all part of the same flock. And then Paul, in Ephesians, goes on to say, we have one God and Father. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The believing Jewish people before Jesus understood it this way, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Yes, but one in what sense? Numerically? Well, God is one as to nature. <laughs> or as a unity? God is three 
as two persons who are perfectly united in their purpose. They are one. They have a unity, a oneness that is far beyond anything we will ever experience. But it is nevertheless our model. We are to be one. Now, God, just just the name alone, God, often refers in the New Testament to the Father. He does rule, is over all, everything. We can be one because none of us ultimately rule over anyone else. (laughs) We don't. Sure, somebody may have authority from God, but it is from God. (laughs) It's not ours. So, we do not need to try to dominate others. Because God rules over the affairs of men, of humanity. Let me get into the new century. (laughs) He is through all. It's kind of a curious expression, isn't it? Perhaps Paul means that he maintains all that is. We can be one because we cannot sustain ourselves. (laughs) Okay, We're we're all decaying. (laughs) The older you get, the more you recognize it. We are all sustained in Him. And He is in all. He is in all places. We are one in this as well. None of us is independent. All of us are dependent on the same One. He is Father of all. When our young son Paul used to say, "I'm," he, he, Paul said this all the time, I'm your favorite, right Dad? <laughs> Got it all the time. I'm your favorite. What am I supposed to say? Yeah, your brother and your sister, they just don't measure up, Paul. You're my favorite. I mean, so I said, no, Paul, we don't have any favorites. We don't, we don't have favorites. But Paul is, if nothing, persistent, and that was insufficient. So within a few days, I'm your favorite, right, Dad? <laughs> uh, finally, it came to me. You know, God helped me out. You had to give it to me directly. And I said, you know, Paul, you are my favorite. She just seen the look on his face. It was, it was a classic. I am? Really? I am? <sighs> yep. And so is Aaron. What? And so is Rochelle. Dad, you can't have more than one favorite. <laughs> yeah, Paul, I can. And when you have kids, you'll see that I'm right. <laughs> you truly are my favorite. And so are your sister. <laughs> so is your brother. <laughs> We are one together because every one of the Father's children is His favorite. You are truly God's favorite. That one sitting next to you, they are truly God's favorite if they believe. Look around you. Everywhere you see is God's favorite child. Okay. We've got this one thing down. So what? What does that have to do with the unity of the Spirit and a little lost girl in the wilderness? Some years before he wrote this letter, Paul had seen the very leaders of this church in person uh, for the very last time, too. He was traveling back to Jerusalem where he knew he would be arrested. And he stopped in a seaport close to Ephesus. Luke gives us this record. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. He ended his talk with this, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, 
in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. They didn't have cougars in ancient Israel, but they did have wolves. <laughs> Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Fierce wolves will come in among you. Okay, what does this have to do with being one? Wolves, like cougars, attack the stragglers. Those who are wandering off by themselves, all alone. Being one together in unity will keep us from being consumed in an attack of the wolves. That's why after urging them to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, Paul describes this oneness, this unity so thoroughly. There's no such thing as an independent Christian. If anyone says, I don't need the church, I can be a Christian without being around all those other Christians. They're believing a lie. You can't. The wolves will pick us off if we are not with the rest of the sheep. Paul does not here in this particular scripture describe these wolves, but it's okay. The Ephesian elders, indeed the whole church, had been taught for a long time by Paul, and they knew what he meant. Paul taught what Jesus taught, okay? And here's what he said. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. And a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. How do you recognize wolves when they wear such fine sheepskin? <laughs> what do they produce? What is their aim? Wolves will sacrifice others to get what they want. They are ravenous and some of them say very Christian words, Lord, Lord. But they won't enter the kingdom of heaven. On that day, Jesus said, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. But they were on our worship team. He never knew them. He preached on TV. But it was only sheep's clothing they were wearing. I saw them do miracles. To those very wolves, he will say, I never knew you dressed up so fine in their sheep clothing, Jesus will say, I never knew you. You weren't doing the will of my Father. Do grapes come from thorn bushes? Do figs grow on thistles? Church, pay attention. This is a spiritual war. If we don't see humility and gentleness and patience, these might be wolves. 
have their lives borne the fruit of new believers? What about the work that lasts forever? Remember, faith, hope, and love. Do you see that in their lives? What have you seen their lives bear? Be aware. Some who use Christian words, Lord, Lord, will spend eternity in hell. Jesus warned his disciples, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Be as wise as possible, better than the serpents, but never compromise your character. Be as innocent as a dove. And don't forget how some of those wolves dress and where those wolves live. There is a great danger of division with, from within. In that talk, Paul said, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Wait. From our own selves? Is he saying that some of the people of that church are fakes? Well, obviously that's what Jesus said. Wolves dressed up like sheep. But also that Christians can get it wrong too. To the Corinthians he wrote, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Partisanship always leads to division. And we need to be careful to avoid that. Because when we are divided, we become easy prey, easy pickings for the wolves. A simple solution to keep us from becoming divided, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Pretty simple. Jesus himself was our example. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If God incarnate did not seek his own will, should we? I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. If the Son, in human form, didn't seek his own glory, should we? But today we're talking about wolves and what they can do to us. And there's one last warning about wolves and unity that we should read. We can get it right as to the wolves, testing and figuring out who they are, keeping them out of the church, but if we're not careful, that can have an effect on us that we don't foresee. We're working through the letter Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. We read some of what he said to the elders from Ephesus. But the last book of the Bible contains a note to that same group, a note from Jesus himself. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, I know your works your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Who fights wolves? 
It's not the sheep. It's the shepherd. In the words of our shepherd, the Scriptures, there is a consistent refrain when it comes to wolves in the church. It's not fight the wolves, but have nothing to do with the wolves. The Ephesian church had a lot of wolves in sheep's clothing wandering around among them. And they did right in searching them out. But it seems that in fighting the wolves, they lost their love. And without love, we are nothing. And isn't that all that Satan wants? (laughs) To cause us to abandon that love that we had at first. When it comes to wolves, let us depend on God, one Spirit, one Lord, one God and Father of all, and have nothing to do with those finely attired brutes. Wolves. And cougars. My backpack was slamming against me as I ran up and down hills thinking about cougars and little children. And then I reached the top of that last rise. They were just over there. But the little one wasn't. I'd been calling out her name so much I guess I must have yelled it again. They told me later that I did. And they said I sounded beyond frightened. (laughs) And they were sure something terrible had happened. I saw their heads all jerked towards me. And then my momentum carried me down the hill and they disappeared out of my sight once again. And I have to tell you, as I was carried along down the trail around that huge rock, all hope had left my heart. I really thought she was lost, that I had let her die. And I was still slowing as I rounded the rock, and there she was. <laughs> And she had turned towards me when she heard me, heard my cry. Tears were flowing down her cheeks and her face was flushed from the running and she cried out, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, don't be mad at me. I was so scared. So I knelt down and I brushed the hair out of her face and I said, I was scared too. (laughs) Well, she collapsed against me and she sobbed and sobbed. Not because she was hurt, she wasn't but because she realized how very close she had come to being lost. But she was safe now. She was with her shepherd now. (laughs) And that's all she really needed. It was only a few minutes and all the others were there with us too. You see, when you are with the shepherd, you're with the sheep. Or to say it the other way around, when you are in the midst of the flock... You are where the shepherd lives. Yes? And you are not alone. Not one against the wolves, but all of us together as one against the wolves. With the one who will defeat the wolves, who never knew those sheepskin-covered carnivores. This is why we need to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. We don't want to get picked off. (laughs) We need to remember ever our first love. Don't let that out of your sight. We need to fall into our shepherd's arms. I'm sorry. I was so scared. (laughs) 
But this shepherd won't say, I was scared too. (laughs) No, he doesn't say that because no one is ever lost from his arms. No, he'll say, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The Spirit and the Bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Will you be one with us? Father, I thank you. For we were like sheep who have gone astray, every last one of us. We were lost and alone and the wolves were closing in. Sometimes as a church, we forget to be together as one. We forget how important unity is. And sometimes it's not till the wolves start nipping at our heels that we realize that we're alone out there. And it's not a good thing. We need to be together with your flock because we know you are there. Help us to be wise in life and yet innocent. Doing the right things, but being aware of the evil around us. This is a fallen world. We know you're making one for us that is perfect and will have no evil in it. But until then, we pray that you'll help us through this one. Help us to be together. And together to stand for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.